Hello world, welcome to the Ignited Fortitude Podcast. This is episode 65. Have a little bit different of a episode. It's uh, an interview with Melissa and Cleveland Johnson who are with Anchor House here in Sierra Vista. They are a Christian ministry who are dedicated to providing spiritual, educational, and financial assistance to disadvantaged women in a safe and judgment-free environment in order to give them opportunities for a better life. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thank Thanks, you. Bobby. Thank you for having us. So you guys have an event coming up, correct? Yeah. Yes. What's that event? It's the Night of Hope. It's Friday, November 3rd at 6 p.m. Um, it's a fundraiser. We're doing a silent auction. There's live music. Um, what else? A buffet dinner. And lots of fun. We're anticipating to have a great time. We already know... We know God's already orchestrated it. He's made a way for it. Um, Onyx Grounds at Urbano okay. has donated the venue. Oh. So I don't think we would have been able to have this event had it not been for them wow. and their generosity. And they have just been so accommodating and really going out of their way to make sure that you know we have everything that we need for that event. So oh, that's excellent. They've been amazing. So um, I just, I want to see them blessed through this whole process as well, because they've just, like I said, their generosity has been amazing. So it's going to be at Urbano's? Yes, it's at the Onyx Rooms at Urbano's. Okay, and what time again is that? That's at 6 p.m. On November 3rd? November 3rd. 6 p.m., all right, cool. So, and what is the fundraising event for? What are you guys trying to do? We are trying to raise money to be able to... So 30% of the residents in Sierra Vista are single-parent homes, majority of them being women. Wow. Um, the cost of childcare for these single parents is astronom- it's astronomical. Um, on average, if they're working, a f- if they're lucky to be working a 40-hour week, because we all know the way the economy is and, and what businesses have had to do in cut back hours for their employees. Um, so if they're working a 40-hour week, it's over $2,500 for one child. Wow. That's more than what they pay in rent. I've been that single mom. Mm-hmm. I had two children in childcare, um, and I I used to have to work two three jobs just to, you know, offset the cost of the childcare. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. If they're not working one job forty hours, that means they're working two jobs. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we want to be able to initially give them um, childcare vouchers, assistance okay. towards their childcare, assistance towards their rent. Um, provide them with financial literacy classes you know is it poor management you know at the end of the day if they're just not making it they're they're not making sure. it but there are some circumstances in which you know we've we've all had to go mm-hmm. down that road we've all had to learn how to manage our finances and budget and and also teach them the blessing of of giving and tithing yeah. yeah absolutely well and you know that's what you know some of the stuff that you offer too it's not just so much a handout as it is also like you said here right um you guys are going to do um you know, you're going to be working towards affordable housing, affordable child care, employment services, financial literacy, mm-hmm. mentoring, coaching. And I think that's the biggest thing because a lot of individuals, unfortunately, who are in those um, situations, it's 
they've seen their parents go through it. Yes. They're going through it and they don't see a way we out. Absolutely want to try and um, help break those destructive cycles of thinking, those sure. patterns of thinking. Sure. You know, you know, the Bible tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We all have to renew our minds. Um, and if that was never modeled in front of you, if you've never seen that before, if you're mm-hmm. unchurched and you've never heard the gospel, if you don't know how to think that way, you'll wind up being in those stuck in those same cycles. So if we do give them money towards their rent or money towards these things, if, you, if you're still stuck in those ways of thinking, you're probably going to end up back in the same situation again yeah. a short time later. So what we want to try and do is break that cycle cut those patterns of thinking and show them this is a way to help you but let us show you the way to truly change your life through christ yeah that's a that's a good thing i had heard a a podcast one time and a guy was you know he was posing the question he's like you know do you think that the loving the most loving thing you can do is going to you know and he was saying you know being a missionary and going down somewhere and like um you know uh like tom's shoes right for every shoe that you that you buy mm-hmm. there you know you get somebody else and somebody was posing the question like do you think that's like really the most loving thing that you can do for those people that are needing shoes and the the audience was like yeah you know you know we're helping them out and out and uh he's like actually it's not He's like, what well, you, what we should be doing is going down there and and teaching somebody who's making shoes because there's already somebody that's there trying to make shoes. Mm-hmm. And what we should be doing is giving them the resources, giving them the tools, so now they can start making shoes. Because now you're going to start, you know, financially helping the, that right. community as opposed to just handing out these things and then you get these people stuck in that situation. I was like, man, that's a yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was okay. That, you know what I mean? Because you again, right? Like information changes situations. So once you start right, understanding things, you're like, oh, now there's a different way of doing it. Um, so, you know, I think it's great what you guys are going to do. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But more than anything else, why are you doing this? What's the story? What's the background? There's got to be something that's entwined to that that has put this on your heart, right? So that's Absolutely. that's what I want to talk about. So. Um, my, I grew up in a household. My father was an alcoholic for the first 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of, you know, arguing. Um, my father was not the nicest drunk person. You know, you have those happy drunks and then you have those mean ones. And my dad happened to be one of the mean ones. And, um, you know, even when he wasn't drinking, I call it um, being a dry drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, you, he never really addressed the issue as to why he was drinking. Yeah. So although the drinking stopped, the verbal abuse continued. Um, and there wasn't so much of the physical abuse, but sometimes the uh, that mental and emotional is far worse than the physical. Yeah, because the bruises will heal. Yes. Yeah. Um, For many, many years, and even to this day, you know, there are certain things that I have to fight against. Mm -hmm. You know, for my whole childhood, I was told, you know, you're good for nothing. Um, You're stupid. You're ugly, um, which caused low self-esteem. And then as I got a little older, you kind of, well, I'm going to prove him wrong, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm going to get an A in this class or I'm going to do I'm going to do A B and C and and just prove him wrong. 
Um, but it wasn't coming from a healthy place. Mm. Um, and I accepted Christ when I was eight years old. I accepted Christ when I was in vacation Bible school. So from the age of eight, I knew I, I knew that God loved me, but I don't know if I really, really knew. Um, I had such a hard time reconciling the fact, you know, how could God love me? if he gave me an earthly father that mm-hmm. didn't love me. And that took a long time for me to wrap my head around. Um, so, you know, so, I was going to a Christian school, you know, doing what I thought was the right thing. And, and then I had um, an event that happened to me when I was 17 years old. And I was sexually assaulted by a schoolmate. Um, I became pregnant from that altercation and I was so fearful of my father and I knew I thought he was going to kill me um and he all told he called me a liar most of my life so in my mind I'm thinking well he's not even going to believe that it happened the way that it happened so I ended up um reaching out to my, you know, I told my best friend at the time and and her mother and and her mother is the one that took me to the clinic to go and get an abortion. And that caused a spiral that lasted about 14 years. Um, You know, you, that happens to you. And then you would, you would think that you would stay away from sex. Mm -hmm. You would stay out of all of that mess. But the enemy is a liar. Mm -hmm. And I believed the lie. And I then became, you know, promiscuous. And, um, and then I started dating someone fairly, you know, serious, when I was 19, and I became pregnant. um, Again, and in that time, I told, I told my parents, I told my mother first, um, she kicked me out of the house. (laughs) But, and ironically, it was my father that came and said, no, we're going to walk through this together and you're going to come home. And um, I ended up, I lost that child, Hmm. which caused, you know, to spiral even more because I've, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, it was a punishment. Mm -hmm. You know, I took one. So now you're taking this one. Um, And which was another lie. Yeah. from the enemy and there was a lot of you know alcohol abuse um for a couple of years i was addicted to prescription pills and um and just recently i i just shared we sat our my kid our kids down and um and i shared my whole testimony with them because of because of what's because of Anchor House and because I know I'm going to be getting going out yeah. there and, and sharing my story and I and I really want them to hear it from me first. And I remember the look on my son's face when I said there were so many nights I shouldn't be sitting here. I used to take about four to five Percocets and then wash it down with wine mm. or vodka or there's no reason. In the natural, I should not be sitting here. My best friend died that way. And I always say, 
I know that God breathed life into my lungs every single morning because that's the only that's the only way you can explain it yeah um so it was many years of just um abuse and and then my older two their dad um after my daughter was six months old he became physically abusive and in hindsight the the signs were there because he was very controlling but you know because I had a, an abusive father, it was all I knew. It was all I... I didn't know any different. I felt like I deserved it. Um, because he would tell me, you know, well, you're good for nothing. Well, I guess that's what I'm good for, you know? Um, so he became physically abusive, and that lasted about... Uh, I left... I was. I became pregnant with my second child when my daughter was about a year and a half. And um, he hit me for the last time when I was six weeks pregnant. Um, Actually, prior to getting pregnant with that child, I had gotten pregnant about eight, ten months after I had my daughter. And uh, he gave me an option. It was either he was going to beat the child out of me or I was going to have to get an abortion. And, you know, you look at your your child that you have and, you know, that fear of him. And, um, you know, I, I, I just knew, you know, if I don't do what he says, he's going to kill me and who's going to take care of my child. Sure. So when he hit me the last time when I was pregnant with my third child from him, it was um, there was no way I was giving up another child. And we left, I left with my one and, one, one and a half year old and $200 in my pocket. And, and the clothes, you know, he allowed, uh, he allowed me to pack a suitcase for each of us. And, and that was it. That's what we left with. Um, and just saying, I mean, now I have fully, fully forgiven him. Um, we actually have a great relationship, ironically. But, uh, you know, we all have our own journeys. Um, but again, all of that just fed into that unworthiness that, um, you know, those words, you're good for nothing. Just, they went deep and got stuck. How was your relationship with the Lord during these times? It was a hit or miss some years, you know, some days. Um, Their dad was a pastor's son. So we used to sit in church every Sunday, and then we would come home. Listening to his dad? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, we are a product of our upbringing. You know, that's that's what he witnessed. His father, even as a pastor, um, used to hit his mother. And uh, that's all he knew, just like that's all I knew. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a vicious, vicious, vicious cycle. Um, And through those years, I, you know, trying, wanting to have that relationship with God. But that unworthiness and that constant question, how could you love me? Look at what, look at who I grew up with. Yeah. Look at who 
I have children with. Look at, like, not realizing it was my choices. Of course. You know, God wasn't doing it, but um, it was the choices that I was making. Um, Then I was a single mom for a number of years. And uh, I would go to church off and on and try. And and like I said, the, the just feeling inadequate not feeling worthy enough um, always caused me to backslide. Mm -hmm. And I would find myself, you know, drinking again and the drugs and just to numb the pain. Um, My older two, they really saw, they got the brunt of all of it. You know, watching mommy just doze off on the sofa and and have to put themselves to bed, Mm -hmm. you know, many, many nights. Um, It was, they didn't, you know, it was a tough childhood for them Mm -hmm. in what they witnessed. Um, And just the situations that I put them in, you know, because it it was just one bad relationship after another, after another. And um, Because, though, because you didn't know your worth, right? Exactly. And so when it came up short, it's like, well, this is what I deserve. Why would I? Why would I expect that I should have anything different? Yep. Right. And then you're in survival mode on top yes. of that, right? Because you're doing yes. everything that you can to survive. Yes. And you make desperate decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, right? Because you're. Because when you know you're in that desperation, you're looking for safety. You're looking mm-hmm. for a savior. Right. Yep. And because you didn't have that proper understanding of, of God was going to be there because of having a misrepresentation of who your earthly father was and then all these other things, you just think like, well, of course, you know, God's here, but he's just going to let this pass. And mm-hmm. if, exactly. if, if rescue isn't going to come, then I need to figure out myself. Yep. Right. And then I met a man that was wonderful. He, you know, we used to go to church. We... Um, prayed together like he was really teaching me and I felt like oh okay I'm finally there I'm I'm finally gonna have normalcy in my life and we got engaged and he ended up passing away he died of an aneurysm um, and then that cycle began again because now I felt well, how could you do that to me? Oh, how could you give me a man that loves me, that loves my kids, and, and then, then take him away. away from me? And then again, those words that my father, well, you're good for nothing. So this is what you get. Um, you know, that constant, It. I felt like every time something happened, it solidified what my sure. earthly father sure. spoke over me. Um, and then, like I said, that just snowballed more abuse more self-destruction um then i met my youngest child is 16 now and i met his dad when i was coming out of that grieving Mm. time and again feeling unworthy feeling you know well god you don't love me look at what you did you took you took someone that i adored that adored me um and then finally being well, now there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And then that tunnel went dark again. So I was in a really bad place when I met Evan's dad. 
And um, that ended up being, you know, another verbally abusive. And like I said before, sometimes that's much worse. Um, And again, you know, just solidifying what I heard my entire life. Um, But God, (laughs) one day when I said, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I'm, I am so done. And I got on my knees in the middle of my bedroom and I just cried out to Lord, to the Lord. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm out. You take over because I am not going around this mountain anymore. I am not doing this anymore. I, I just can't. And I felt the Holy Spirit come into that, you know, I felt his presence so sweet. And that Sunday, I remember I got up and I went to church. And I can't tell you what song was playing during praise and worship. But for the first time in my life, I felt the love of God. To the point where it was just, I could, crying uncontrollably. And... And I remember just asking, I'm like, oh my gosh, you do love me. You love me, but you love me that much? Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I was in such awe. And it was really from that moment, I've never, the drinking stopped. The, by that point, I wasn't taking any pills anymore anyway, but you still have that, that destructive mindset that, um, you know, you, you're not worthy. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, still hearing my father's sure, words, sure. still hearing the words of the men that I was in relationships with that were, you know, just confirmed, were saying the same things that my father was saying. Um, so that took a long time. That took a, a number of years. And during that healing process and God asking me, who are you? And I remember the first time he asked me that, I was like, I go, well, I'm a mother. I'm, I'm a daughter. And he goes, no, who are you? And I'm like, and then it hit, I'm like, well, I'm your daughter. And, you know, like kind of, okay, where are we going here, Lord? And he just began to tell me all the things. And he's like, you are victorious. Mm. You are courageous. You can do all things through me. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. You're an heir to the throne. You're a citizen of heaven. And all those things. And I was like, wow, wow. And it was during that time that um, God started giving me the vision for Anchor House. (laughs) And I remember thinking, Lord, I, I can't. Who who am I? (laughs) I can't mentor anyone. I'm still, you know, I'm still a mess. You're still working on me. What are you talking about? Um, But he's, he's so gentle. And he's so gracious. And, and then it was about two years later, I met my wonderful husband. And um, I remember the first time he went into my bedroom, and I had all these (laughs) post-its all over my room. And, and they were, you know, you're courageous, 
you're victorious. You're so that every time I woke up in the morning, they were the first things that I saw. And it was, and I needed that Mm -hmm. because the, the damage had, it went so, so deep. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, to this day, my husband will tell me, Oh, you're so beautiful. And it's gotten much better. I, I believe him, but for a long time, it was difficult for me to even accept that from him. Sure. Um, so I remember the first, I was like, oh my God, this man must think I'm crazy. <laughs> There's post-its everywhere on my mirror in the bathroom. and um, But that's really how I got through it. And that's really where Anchor House came from. It comes from my own, my own experiences, my own hurt. Mm. And I know what God has done for me. And I'm, I'm not any more special than anyone, anyone else. Sure. Um, there's nothing. If God did it for me, he's going to do it for anyone that wants it. And that's what this is. I want to, I think for me going through, cause I tried going back to church a number of times mm-hmm. and I would get judgment. Like if I would, I would pour my heart out to some of these ladies and they would tell me, well, what'd you do? And I would sit there and I'd be like, what did I do? Like, okay, I guess I'm good for nothing, you know? And it just, it was just perpetual. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really, it wasn't until that moment that I said, okay, Lord, I want more of you. I just, I need, I need more of you. And I just started seeking him. And and it's really the Holy Spirit that has walked me through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, he's the one that taught me. He's, because I wasn't, because I faced the judgment, I wasn't inclined to really find a home church. You know, I would go every once in a while and I'd be like, okay, you know, this is, it's nice. Praise and worship is nice. The word is good. But I was ve- I kept everyone at arm's length. Yeah. I didn't want anyone getting close. I didn't want and it was because the Holy Spirit was try- finally getting me to a place where I felt like I was I was confident. I was, you know, I was going going down the right path and I didn't want anyone knocking me off of that path. Yeah, absolutely. So, um and my I'm committed to holding the hands of these women. Mm. And walking it through with them. Well, giving, being able to be the advocate that you didn't get, right? Yes, exactly. Because, because uh, unfortunately, that's probably still going on in a lot of people's yes. experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Going from, you know, conti- that continual pattern, right? Yep. And when you're looking, when you already have that, like, uh, negative self uh, doubt and identity, um, even with, with, you know, like what other people said, you already, you, you fully embrace that because that's already what's, that's what you think. And it's like, I'm no, I'm not going to take that here. Right. So, yep. and so you run, right. Cause you can run there as opposed to other places. Yep. And so having a place where you can have people to come in and letting them know like, Hey, like, no, let's help. This is a place to heal, right? Yes. You know, one of the uh, illustrations that, um, you know, uh, that the church should be, right, is, uh, you know, like a, if there's a crime scene or an accident, right, and the police show up and the, and the fire department shows up, right, 
the police are there for what happened. Who's at fault? Who's mm-hmm. that? You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and then the fire department's supposed to be there to be like, hey, it doesn't matter who's at fault. Like, hey, we're just going to heal and clean you up. And, and that's that's how we're supposed to be, period, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the church, mm-hmm. but just we are the church, right? Like, mm-hmm. So that's how we're supposed to be. And unfortunately, you know what I mean, we, um, we lose sight of those things sometimes, you know? Absolutely. And what, what I find, um, and I didn't realize it, when so God gave me this vision twelve years ago, mm-hmm. my husband and I have been we're celebrating our eighth year anniversary in November. Um, so and he adopted the vision I mean, when we were dating, and I shared with him, and he's like, "Wow!" And he's encouraged me, and and has stood by me, and and is gets in in the mess of it <laughs> with me all the time. Um, so and we tried making it work in New York. Mm. You know, we would pass a building, and I would tell him, "Oh, honey, wouldn't that be a great place for Anchor House?" Or, and and I had tried speaking to about two pastors back in New York, and they just never. One had grabbed hold of it, and then there was like a the uh, associate pastor. There was a falling out, and and it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Sure. Um, and then when God moved us here two years ago, and he brought this back with such urgency mm. in January. And I initially, I remember thinking, here? Yeah. In Sierra Vista? Yeah. <laughs> like, really, Lord? There's, there's a need for that? Because, you know, it, it's such a small town, and, and you tend to live in your own little bubble. And, and, you know, we have our church friends and our church family and... And I don't know, I guess our perception was a little, at least mine, was a little off. And then when I started really researching, and I'm like, wow, there, there really is a need. And the biggest need is there's a gap. Mm-hmm. So you can go to the other shelters. Mm-hmm. If a woman is abused, you know, she can go to the Forgash House. There's, you know, there's other shelters in the area in southern Arizona but um, what happens after? Yeah. Well, that's kind of where we met, right? So at Lori's place, you know, I had yeah. Michelle on here. And then that's where we, you know, networked and, and met. And, you know, you were telling about it. I'm like, oh, it's perfect because you guys are the in-between. You know, Lori's place is there to help him. But then that is the thing. Like, okay, but what afterwards? Yes. Yeah. Where is the follow-up? Where? I know firsthand it takes time oh, yeah. to change your mindset. Okay. It takes, it's work, mm-hmm. and it's hard doing it by yourself. That's what I was going to say, too. And if you're doing it by yourself, you, like, you know, it, we're going to take the path of least resistance. You know right. what I mean? And if there's whatever else is going to come to give you that comfort, unfortunately, sometimes it's a bad relationship or, right. you know what I mean? And um, Or even staying in the system, because that was one of the conversations you and I had, right, mm-hmm. was, um, you know, people take the system, and then they need to stay stuck in there, because the, if exactly. they start gaining more money then all the care goes away right right and it's like a it's a it's faulty because it's almost like it's set up it's a vicious it's a vicious cycle i mean we we talk about this all the time as as um we get more and more information as we've been doing research mm-hmm. um so welfare started in the united states in 1935 yes it was we established are, we are now um eight generations into welfare Eight. 
And if you can imagine, there are probably some families that have been in welfare generation after generation after mm -hmm. generation after generation. And so now with inflation where it is, mm -hmm. and you're working your hardest and you're doing everything. And I'm, you know, I'm not talking about people, I mean, <sighs> And in, uh, in, in some members of my family, you know, uh, um, my ex-wife's family, uh, we had people that just kind of like, you know, we're just going to milk the system. You yeah. know, oh, yeah. we get X amount of dollars for a kid, so we'll just have more kids mm -hmm. and more kids, you know, and just get more money from. What am I even talking about that? I'm talking about the people that are desperately trying and you're working, but here's how much you're going to make. And here's rent and mm -hmm. here's child care and here's the cost of food and gasoline and so if you're doing everything like she explained to work and to bring in income and now the government's like, oh, you're working. Okay, so let's pull back on some of this. And now you're like, wait a minute, now I'm not getting ahead. Now I'm just falling right back. So you're disincentivized from working or trying. Yeah. If I can stay home, now I can watch my kids. I can get that, you know, I can watch my own kids. I'll get the money. And now I'm getting ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're getting ahead by staying, mm -hmm. you know, Stuck. on the government's dime. You're mm -hmm. stuck. You're stuck. And, so, and that does something to your spirit. Oh, yeah. When you feel like you're not working, you're not contributing to society, I don't care what anyone tells me. Mm. I know for me, I had to be on social services for a period of mm -hmm. time. And I remember just feeling, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want someone else paying for my children. Yeah. I want to pay for my own food. I want to pay for my own rent. Um, and it builds you up. It, it's so it it's it is. It's a vicious, mm -hmm. vicious cycle. And the average person that's on social services is five years, and that that indicates they're using they're not using it what it was meant for. It was meant for a short period of time, like for how I used it. You know, I lost my job. I needed, you know, while I was looking for a no, new job, I had to go on. You know, sure. food stamps and and Medicare and and all of that. Um, that's what it was intended for. But these, you know, some of these families are on it for five years. Mm -hmm. That's an indication of this is a lifestyle for them. Oh yeah. This is what they've seen their entire life, and with the states decreasing the eligibility every year. In Arizona, it used to be, I don't know the exact number, it was 50, I think it was around 51,000 and change. It is now 32, the qualifying, for a family of four. So I'm like, okay, how is a family of four, first of all, surviving on 32,000? No, they can't. So... Most likely, they're they're making more than that mm -hmm. if both parents are working. But it's just not enough. Mm -hmm. And because social services keeps decreasing that qualifying number, for every 100 applications that are submitted to, D to DSS, it's 27 on average are approved. That's crazy. Wow. The need is there. Um, and it, it's... And with inflation... That is, so Anchor House, our future goal mm -hmm. is we want that land, we want those buildings to be able to house 100 plus families. We want our own certified child care center. Mm -hmm. 
um, we an event space for an event um, event space for ministry offices and and really having that space that the community can utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you heard. Did you hear about that that little girl that was in the park a couple of weeks ago? Mm-mm. I bel- I want to say she was like two and a half, three years old. She was in the park for two and a half hours alone. They found out that she was one of the, she was from the child care center. They had taken all the kids to the park. And when they got back to the facility, they did a head count and she was missing. But they didn't go and get her right away. What? (laughs) So, I mean, things like that. and, And I'm not saying, you know, listen, everyone... Everyone has a job to do, and and I'm not I'm not putting down these facilities that are state ran. Well, hey, hey, Mary and Joseph left but, Jesus. Said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, ha- it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> so it, but to have a safe yeah, yeah, place, yeah, absolutely. That these moms, you know, so now how is that mother feeling? Oh, She's well, had yeah. to go to work. She's trying to provide for her child. And the only place that's affordable is like this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, to provide them that safe child care center, that's affordable. Um, It's it's so important. Mm -hmm. And really keeping the family family unit together. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we can also be a resource to CareNet. Um, I'm also a client advocate. I volunteer one day a week over in CareNet. Mm-hmm. And I see these young parents come in and and they just, they don't know how they're going to make it. They don't, you know, you know, they don't have the money to buy, you know, to get into a good apartment. Apartments are very few and far between. You can't rent a house. There's, I mean, that, there's a housing problem in Sierra Vista. Um and, you know, as we all know, you know, money is one of the biggest issues, one of the biggest arguments that couples have. Yeah. Um, so trying to alleviate some of these outside forces that just cause you to make the you know poor decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that's what we really that's what's on my out. heart. That's yeah. what, you know, we want to help out with um, the idea. It will be giving leases for about 12 to 24 months mm-hmm. and really sitting down with them and saying, okay, where do you want to be yeah. in 24 months? Well, that's big, right? It's having a vision. A lot of them just right. like, you know, they want to see like, well, I just want to be, you know, whatever they have, but they don't like, okay, what does that look like though? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, this, is, this, is, this is, okay, that's great. You know, like you want, you know, I want to have my own house and my own thing and okay. So, but this is where you're at right now. So mm-hmm. like, let's, right. let's, you know, like uh, re-engineer what you got going on. And let's see what that's going to look like for you to, in order to get that. So in mm-hmm. three months from now, what do you think that, you know, you should be doing to be get you know, and having those milestones of like, hey, this is what you're looking for. This is what you're the next step, the next, you know, place that you're trying to, to get to, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and how to plan that. Cleveland, what about you? What's your what's your uh, testimony? <laughs> uh, well, um So Melissa and I actually 
We've known each other since we were 16 years old. Oh, really? We met in high school. Yeah. Okay. She was dating this friend of mine. <laughs> I was actually dating her cousin. <laughs> it was a mess. But um, So um, the last time I saw Melissa at that stage of our lives was um, at her sweet 16 party because her parents moved from our town, our little town. We grew up on Long Island, um, in, in the middle of Long Island, middle of Suffolk County, a town called Central Islip. And she was at the high school uh, that year. I'm not sure when you got to the high school, but, um, and so we met and we were, you know, we were acquaintances, um, but we were friends and she had come from that Christian school that she had come in. So she had her sweet 16 party and, um, you know, this is back before it was cool to listen to, you know, like Christian music. We were like, "What? We're going to this, we're going to this party, and they're they're playing Christian music." But it was good being there. It was a good time. We had no, we had a good time. We had a good time. And um, and then her parents moved her to a different town. Back then, you know, it might as well have been like a different state. It yeah, was like no cell phones. No, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it was like we moved away. So that was the last time I'd seen her. But you know, I was sixteen, um, and then. You know, I went through uh, high school and stuff, went off to college and stuff. But when I when I was younger, when I, when I was a child, um, six or seven, I was sexually molested by a neighbor. And um, that caused a lot of shame and fear to enter, like, right away. My parents were both um, very well known, you know, in, you know, in, in our town, in our, in the, really in the state. My my mother was elected official. My father was an appointed official in the mm-hmm. government. And, you know, everybody in town knew who he was. So even as a child, I knew my parents had notoriety, they had respect, yeah. and I had, to, I had to walk the part, right? I'm the youngest of four, but I'm the one that was named after my dad, mm-hmm. not my older brother. I'm like, and I, as a child, I remember thinking, oh, I got to live up to dad's, you yeah, know, standard. his name, his standard. And he was always saying, you know, you're a Johnson, you're a Johnson, you walk like it, act like it, da, da, da. So I remember very young feeling, I can't tell my parents this, sure. you know. Um, so I, you know, I, I hid it. But as a child, as your first sexual experience to be a violent one like that, and then it was a, it was a man. So, and I knew that that wasn't right. Yeah. So there was confusion. There was shame, um, and it just caused me to spiral. I began looking at pornographic magazines. You know, while I was, I think when I was ten, and then you know, other unhealthy relationships and um, pornography and, you know, and lust and all that stuff, just the next 40 years of my life. And I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 16. And I did everything that I thought of to get free from that stronghold. I mean, I went to pastors, I went to elders, I went to, you know, mentors, I talked about it, confessed it. I read books, I read the Bible, I prayed. I was like, why can't I get rid of this? And then the enemy told me a lie. Hmm. And I was like, after so many years of not being able to get victory, I thought, maybe I just have to live with this. Maybe like Paul, this is that thorn Thorn. in my flesh, right? That he prayed to God for, Mm -hmm. to get rid of. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so I, I believed, okay, this is, so that's why. I just have to live with this. God's going to give me grace to live with it. And that, obviously that lie from the enemy made me then, instead of pushing it away, it almost became like the little pet that mm-hmm. you have and you, you, know, you pet them yeah. and it's comforting. And so 
it became this secret that mm-hmm. I had. And so in my first marriage, and I got married when I was 23, my, my first wife had two girls when we married, and then we had six more kids together, so we have eight kids. So all through those years, and then I went into the ministry, I was, you know, very young. I was, you know, maybe the year after, 23, 24 years old, my pastor pulled me out and said, you know, I'm going to make you a deacon. I think you should be a deacon. And then, then a minister in training, then a minister, and then an elder, and, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I figured, oh, I'm doing everything right, right? I looked apart, educated, got a good family. I'm moving up in ministry. I know I'm pleasing God, but I'm still, my heart I haven't given my my heart fully to him. I still got this secret that I'm holding on to, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew that it wasn't right. Because every once in a while, even though I had that thought that, oh, this is my thorn that I'm supposed to live with, something was like, nah, you need to try and deal with that. So I would go again, talk to this pastor. And, and like Melissa discovered, I also got shame and rejection and stuff in the church. Yeah. And I'm like, if I can't get help from the church, what do I... What do I do? How now, do I? Now, were you letting him know what had happened? Like what you were carrying? Or were you just, it was like, man, I'm just, you know, struggling with these sins or like. Well, in, in different stages. So, you know, um, um, we moved around quite a bit. Yeah, you know, my first marriage, we had, we, we had moved several times. And so in, in some ministries where I felt safe, you know, I would, and I had mentors and things that, you know, I would confess and they'd say, okay, Cleve, you just need to do this. You know, it was like some formula, but it was never. Nothing ever worked, and nobody ever, nobody ever really. It was always you got to do, you have to do, you have to do. Nobody said give this to God, and it's it's, it's ironic, you know, uh, all the things that we learn about God, and all this service in the ministry, and it's like nobody tells you to really surrender. Nobody told me how to really give this over to God, so. I just carried around like bad luck, bad luggage for uh-huh. decades. So, you know, fast forward, um, uh, my wife, my ex-wife went into the military and um, at the age of 38 and I was home with the eight kids struggling financially, just like everything began to just kind of like. And so um, our marriage ended. There was there was an affair the marriage ended, um, and I, you know, so I was separated from my kids, and mm-hmm. I was separated, and it was like one by one, God began to remove the things out of my life that I used to identify myself with. Right, I had moved away from New York, so even though, of course, I was still my parents' son, I didn't have my parents' very, very powerful, very present, overarching presence sure. in my life. Like I couldn't go anywhere without somebody saying, "Oh." You're a Cleveland Jones son, and mm. da da da. You're a Johnson, so now I'm I'm away from all that, and now I'm no longer a husband, mm. and I'm still a father, but they weren't present. So I'm like, okay, God, well, if I'm not this, because as men we identify with what we do, yeah, yeah. right. You know, I'm a I'm a banker. I'm a yeah. yeah you know what we do. Um, so when you're not doing those things, who are you? Yeah. Who am I now? And God did that on purpose. He was trying to show me. I didn't know it at the time, but he was one by one taking away my self-identification crutches until I was stripped and I didn't know who I was. And then slowly he began to Build. build back. You're my son. 
And he, I remember praying one night, and he, he, um, he talked to me, and he said, you're David. I said, I'm Cleve. He said, no, you're, you're David. He goes, your heart is like David. You're a worshiper. You are a warrior on the inside. You're a warrior, you know, um, and you're a king. Hmm. So he began to build my identity back in me. Um, and, and it, you know, it's taken a long time to really embrace what God says I am versus all the years of everybody else saying, no, this is who you are. This is what you are. Yeah. So, well, and, and not even just what people were saying, but what you were trying to achieve by masking it, right? To get that mm-hmm. uh, validation that you're okay, right? Because you had the shame, but you're trying to hide that. Then you're trying to like, but let me do this and that's going to get me there. Let me do this and that's going to be okay. And let me. So what I didn't realize what was happening, you know, all those years in the ministry um, was I was, I was getting the attaboys and I was getting the accolades. And so I was like, oh, okay, I got, I just have to do this. I have to do this and they'll love me and they'll, and they'll appreciate me. And so I was building this performance mentality yeah. and this performance mindset like if i perform and i do this just right and i do you know i'll get that acceptance i'll get that pat on the back and you know i'll 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 look like a success sure to my dad because i didn't you know and i didn't even explain all that you know I, I i never felt like i measured up in his eyes when i would try and talk to him he would say yeah son but you know you need to do it this way you need to do it that way and so forth so always trying to measure up and and it's so funny because you know, we've over the years when we've talked about our fathers and and, you know, I began to recognize, wow, is everybody dealing with daddy issues? Yes, probably. Right. Yes. So, um, <laughs> no, and you have to think, no matter how good like my sons. Right. Like yeah. I, I I've done the best that I can with my boys, mm-hmm. but they're going to absolutely. And, and that's why like I'm not the ultimate like my whole job as as their father is to point them to the Lord, because, yeah, don't don't get you know, don't think that your, the approval comes from me. Right. Because it's not, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, finally, you know, after I divorced, um, we were living in um, Virginia at the time in Newport News. And um, God was telling me, go home, go back to New York. But I didn't know how to walk away from my kids. My kids were still in the area, mm-hmm. but their mom was getting ready to move back to Georgia. So I... I finally said, you know, I'm sitting around here. I'm not, my, my, my life was a mess. I'm trying, but I just couldn't get it together. I moved back to New York and, um, well, before that, I had, I had started um, trying to date again and um, went on a dating site. And I'm on this one dating site, and I look and I see this picture, and I'm like, wow, that really looks like, that looks like Melissa. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sent a message, but I never heard anything back. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't think anything of it. And I was like, well, okay, I guess she's, you know, she's involved. She's, you know, she's not interested, whatever. So I forgot about it. And then um, we moved back to um, New York. When I moved back to New York in 2014, um, she eventually saw the message that I had sent her and actually called me. Oh, dang. Yeah. And... Um, through a couple of other calls and interactions, we wound up um, reconnecting and finding each other again. And um, a year after that, we were married. I mean, it happened very quickly. Oh. Yeah, we fell in love like right away and um, we were married. Um, so when we got together and I began to really look at her 
and see her. I remember the first thing I noticed about her, and I tell this all the time, is what a wonderful mother she mm -hmm. is. Despite everything that she's been through and that whole testimony that she just showed you, it's almost like she said, I'm going to make sure my kids never, ever, you know, experience the kinds of things that I experienced. And I'm going to do my best mm -hmm. to be, you know, the mom I didn't have or the parent I didn't have sure. and be there for my kids. And, and I saw that right away. And I, and I always commented on that because she's an incredible mother. Mm -hmm. She's an incredible mom. Um, she feeds into her kids what they believe in and what they want to see and do. Um, but... We started dating, we got married, and she began to share the things that the Lord had done with her um, and the places that God had taken her. And when, you know, when she shared the vision with me, it, it just spoke something to me. My mom used to take me when I was a child to um, different events and things, and she used to run a program for teenage moms um, in our town, teaching them mothering skills, teaching them parenting skills. The girls who, because back then, as a teenager oh, yeah. having a kid, you know, their mothers, Taboo. you know, yep. had kicked them out and all kinds Absolutely. of stuff. And um, and so she ran this program on Saturdays where she would bring them up there, teach them how to take care of the babies, how to take care of themselves, how to feed them, how to you know how to get this resource and that thing. And she would bring me along because I was young, so I would sit there and watch her do all these things. Every year for Christmas, she would take them into the city to go Christmas shopping and, you know, make them feel good about themselves and help them with money and food and stuff like that. My mom and I used to play ring and run on Thanksgiving. We would make these big boxes with turkeys and food and all kinds of things. And just she and I, I was 10, 11 years old, whatever. And we got this van and we loaded it with food in the side and we'd go knock on people's doors and put the food on their awesome. stoop and then run awesome. before they came and opened the door. We didn't want them to know that we, you know, we wanted to kind of save their pride. Sure. Um, so I've always been in that family where we did things for people and just gave. And that, so that's in my heart. But doing things for women, I've always seen that growing up. When Melissa began to share this vision with me, um, it just connected. And I had just felt like, you know what, Lord, I feel like this is my purpose. I feel like I'm supposed to support this vision. Mm. So... And she said, back in the New York, I was working in the government. I mean, we had all kinds of connections, people that we knew, resources. Just it, should, Yeah, it, it shouldn't would, have been able to work, right? It just couldn't happen. It just did not happen. Um, and then when God sent us here to Sierra Vista, ugh, just like doors began flying open. And we always say he sent us 2,600 miles across the country to, um, to start this vision. But one other thing before I find this part is... Um, during that time, because of all those things that I went through in my childhood, God was just not going to let that just keep going, yeah. you know, and it began to cause serious problems in this marriage, our new marriage. Mm -hmm. This one that I thought after the pain of betrayal and divorce from before, I didn't think I would ever have the chance to have this kind of love again. And when I and when we had it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to do everything right, Lord. I'm going to this marriage is going to be perfect. I'm so grateful but I still didn't know how to get rid of this secret. I did not know what to do and confessed, but it was causing serious problems in our marriage to the point where when we first got here to Sierra Vista, we almost divorced. Mm -hmm. And in this last couple of years, God didn't just send us across the country to start Anchor House. And he didn't just send us across the country to reconnect with her family and all these other things. He sent us across the country to save our marriage, mm -hmm. to restore us 
to launch this ministry. He's just done so much in this amount of time through this ministry and through other ways. He's just completely restored everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, what what is it that 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 happened, or what have you done that has healed that? <laughs> you go. So. It was always like the big, fat, pink elephant in in the the room. room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unbeknownst to him, I would, I always knew. I would feel it. I would know when it was going on and then what it would do to me. Yeah. From my background. And then I would feel unworthy. I would feel. Again. You know, I'm not good enough. So it was dredging up all my garbage. Mm -hmm. And I have a hot temper. (laughs) Um, And my, the way I rationalized it was, okay, because he is a wonderful man. I mean, he's, he's my best friend. He's a wonderful stepfather. I couldn't ask for a better role model for my boys. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always looked at it as, okay, I'm going to deal with this. But you better hit every target over here. Mm. And that was unrealistic. Yeah. You know, we're all a, imperfect. That's, that's So, like, that's that's a demand relationship, right? So that's yes. like a love, right? It's like, okay, I'll love you here, right? When we're supposed to love unconditionally. And instead of that happening, right? It's with condition. So, oh, I'm loving you. I'm being all these other things. But and then, I felt like I had to perform again. Again. Yeah. So that whole performance mentality. And if I don't hit everything just right, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be loved. Yeah. But not knowing why I was reacting that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So every time he missed a target, well, I would just go, poof. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's, unspo- again, right? Unspoken expectations. Yes. Right? So, because of my temper, it would just, it got him to the point where he was walking on eggshells, Mm. not wanting to do anything to rock the boat, not wanting, you know, not wanting to hear my scream or, you know, feel the attitude. I'm very good at giving the silent treatment. (laughs) Um, And with God's help and God's grace that has not happened in quite a long time but during those period you know during those years and he would know mm-hmm. and you know and I don't have a poker face either so it was written all over me um in January of this year we had a prayer and fast with our church and day 1 hmm. God said, you need to go and confront him. Mm. Now, all these years, I never said anything to him. I always knew. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I can't talk to him. I don't want to talk about this. Why can't it just stay that, like, fat elephant in the middle of the room? It's okay. I, I'm okay with it. But he's like, he goes, but are you? Mm. And then my desire has always been, I want to be the wife that Cleve needs. And I remember that that first day, I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. That's my heart's desire. Why can't I? I feel like there's this, there's this block. Mm-hmm. And he took me all the way back 
and brought me to the exact moment when, so before we got married, I laid everything on the table. Mm-hmm. I didn't want there to be any secrets between us. And he shared that he had, you know, a problem with pornography. But I heard it as, well, you've overcome it. I overcame, you know, I was coming from an overcomer's perspective. point or perspective. And so I that's the way I interpreted it. And it was shortly after we had gotten married. And I remember one day he, he looked at me and he's like, well, I don't ever want to blame you for my addiction to pornography. And it was like a gut punch. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second. You still have a problem? Like, my alcoholism is, you know, it's gone. It's dead. Mm-hmm. I'm not that person anymore. I don't, I'm, I just, I read my journals from back because I've always journaled. I don't even know who that person is anymore. Wow. So it was just a gut punch. And from that day, the first layer went up. Mm-hmm. And then every time he didn't hit that mark, another layer, a brick wall, you know, to the point where there was this huge brick wall between us. Mm. And then, and it it was like in that moment, he was showing me everything. And I'm like, whoa, I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do? And he's like, you need to confront him. I was like, oh no, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to talk about this. I don't even want to look at it. Like, why? Why do I have to go to him? He should be coming to me. (laughs) At the same time, God was telling me, you need to go talk to your wife. You need to confess. And I'm just like, oh, God. Because I knew that she's going to open the sky up. She's going to hit the button. And out's going to come this nuclear missile. And it's going to launch. And once it launches, there's no pulling it back. And um, Yeah. No, it was. And then, so I didn't do it that day, that first day. Tuesday came. And he's like, I need you to talk to him. And I'm like, Lord, I'm not doing it. I, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to acknowledge it. I don't want to talk about it. Wednesday came, the same conversation. Thursday, we're in bed. I roll, you know, we're saying goodnight to each other. I roll over and God said, you're going to talk to him and you're going to talk to him now. Of course, right at bedtime, right? <laughs> and I was like, what? And, and he, the way he said it, I knew, okay. I need to say something. So I'm laying there and I'm like, Lord, I don't even know. How do you even bring this up? This is seven years later. And I have to admit that I've known all this time because we've never discussed it other than that first time. Yeah. And, and he, he, he goes, child, open up your mouth and I will give you the words. And I was like, okay. And I rolled over and I, I'm like, I need to talk to you. And I, the God's honest truth, I don't even know how the, I don't remember what I said. God literally gave me the words. And he was mad initially. Um, Over the years, I tried, you know, we would get into these fights. And, and I would think to myself, okay, I know I messed up, but. This is not a nuclear situation. Why am I, so, you know, why is the house on fire now? Why, you know, 
why is she not talking to me for three weeks, you know, because of, you know, because of this issue? I couldn't understand how it went to 110, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so, and I'm, and, and over the years I've said to her, hun, we never ever finish an argument because we would start talking about stuff and then she'd go, I don't want to talk about this and walk away. And then that would be it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe six months later, I'm like, this isn't right. This isn't good. We need to talk. And I would try and start it again. And, you know, same thing. And then, and then it got to a point where I don't want the isolation. Hmm. I don't want the, the cold shoulder. Stone I don't wall. want the, yeah. You know, it's, it's almost better. Let's just, let's just fake it. You know, it's better. I can still talk to you. We can still have a meal together and still seem like a semi-normal couple. Yeah. If I don't try and bring this up. So it just went to an avoidance thing. And that's how it really became this elephant in the room that just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And when, you know, and we put that big elephant in three U-boxes and brought it 2,600 miles from, <laughs> from the northeast to the southwest. And when sure. we got here, God was like, this house is not big enough for that elephant. Yeah. And where you guys are going, you can't bring yeah. this with yeah. you. Yeah, so that we started going to a marriage connection group through our church. Small group. Yeah. And... Um, I remember that that morning we woke up. I knew he was annoyed with me. Mm. He wasn't, you know, we weren't really saying two words to each other that morning. And I remember I looked at him. I was like, okay, this isn't how we handle this. Mm. Um, I know you're upset. I'm upset. I don't know how we're going to get past this. So we need to sit down and we need to come up with a game plan. And we both agreed that we were going to sit down and we were going to speak to the couple that um, that's part of, you know, that leads that group. And we were lit. We, it was Jimmy Evans. We were watching one of his videos. EXO. EXO marriage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we're sitting there that and Jimmy Evans says one thing and he says, Whatever you keep in the darkness is the playground for the enemy. Yep. As soon as you shed light on it, it's you have to, you know, it doesn't have a hold on you anymore. And we looked at each other and we were like, oh, my gosh. And in that moment, I was like, Lord, that's why you, you insisted yes. I speak to him last night. Yeah. Because he knew this was the lesson that we were going to be. I don't think it would have hit us had mm. we not spoken yeah. about it. And then that night we sat down with the other couple and um, we were very transparent. And um, and I remember she looked at me and, and she told me things I did not want to hear. And and when she told you know, you have to love him through this. You, you have to have sex with him. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I loved her honesty and... And telling me the hard things mm -hmm. and, and telling me what it says in God's word. Mm -hmm. And my desire to always be obedient and to really, all I want is to be in God's will. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what, that's my driving force every single day. Mm -hmm. um, so that desire to want to please the Lord really forced me i'm like okay lord you know he's an extension of you so 
This is and in just that that healing process. And we've recognized the fact that we can never, ever leave it in the darkness anymore. It's we have to talk about it. Um, So that was January. And then in February, we were the MCs for the EXO conference. And the couple that is the leads our group said, you know, we would love it if you guys gave a testimony. So I was like, okay, you know, and I'm thinking I have many testimonies. I mean, I have healings. We have, you know, our marriage, we're a blended family. I mean, there's, there's loads of testimonies. So about three weeks before the XO conference, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, what, which testimony should I, should we give? And he says the most recent, I was like, no. I was like, Lord. You're funny, Lord, right? <laughs> that is, it's too soon. Yeah. I, and then that doubt started seeping in. Like, is he really set free? Like, mm-hmm. oh, are yeah. we going to put ourselves out there and declare that we've been set free and be that known, that couple known for? That couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and and we, now we are that couple, right? <laughs> People come up to us. Oh, thank you so much for talking about porn. Yeah. You know, can I talk to you about? I was like, I don't want to talk to you about that. That's so funny. That's so funny. I was like, Lord, is this is this, is this my life now, Lord? Am I going to be the the you know the porn guy that you're going to talk? And God's and you know what He said to me? He said, Would you not do that for me? Oh. And I just I shut up right away, and I was like, Lord, I would do that for you. I would do anything for you. So, and, but. That same marriage, that same XO conference, the year before, when we went, I had no idea. She she didn't want to go, mm-hmm. and I had no idea how close we were to divorce oh. at that conference. Now a year later, You're, we're we're seeing it. it. Come on now, come on now. Tell me that the Lord isn't crazy. The 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 August, the summer before that. So the summer, you know. So after the EXO conference in twenty one, you know, or, or sorry, in twenty two, that summer before we had had a big fight, mm-hmm. and she was like, "I don't know where you're sleeping tonight, but you need to go find some place to sleep." And I was sitting, and I never forget. I had no place to go. I was like, "She's mad at me. I gotta get out of the house right now." And I'm sitting at the movie theater. Cause I was like, I need, I, I got hours and hours now. I, you know, cause I'll figure I'll come back at night. I'll just go into the spare bedroom and you know, but what am I going to do with the rest of my day? I sat, I went to a movie. I don't remember what movie was. I sat in my car after the movie. And for the very first time in my life, I have never. And so I, we just got finished learning about some stuff in the class that we we're taking at church. And I started learning about intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. See, I've never heard that phrase before, so I didn't know exactly what that was. I've had them, but I didn't know what it was. That day, I'm sitting outside the movie theater, and I had this intrusive thought. And it was so powerful that I felt it like try to, like, if you can imagine, like try and hook itself in my spirit. Mm-hmm. And I knew in that moment, he was like, your life is over. You might as well just end it. I've never had suicidal thoughts before. But in that moment, he goes, you remember what the pain of your first divorce felt like? You're about to go through it again. You might as well just. So I was like, I knew enough in that moment to thank God 
uh, and I just rebuked it. And I was like, you know, I bind that thought and I cast it out because I knew if I hadn't, I would have given him hmm. a foothold, foothold with with that subject, with the subject of suicide, which is something that was so foreign to me. And I think that was the reason why I was like, it was like devil overplayed his hand because that's not a thought I've ever had. But I can see now how people get assailed with thoughts. Oh, yeah. And if you don't know how to combat those thoughts in the spirit, how they can take mm-hmm. root, how they can grab a hold. And all of a sudden you find yourself in places and situations, doing things, thinking things that you never thought they're so foreign to you you look in the mirror and you don't even know who you are absolutely and at that moment i'm sitting there in the car and i'm just like what is happening right now you know i know that i'm a son of god i know that god loves me why am i contemplating suicide and god was like you're not contemplating it so don't own that Mm -hmm. and i was like okay and and i knew i was like i gotta heal my marriage my marriage has got to get fixed because I knew the enemy was going to try and use it as a launch, as, as a springboard to try and just destroy us. It wasn't about destroying the marriage. He wanted to destroy yeah. us. So, well, you know, and think about it, right? So, you know, Paul tells us that, you know, don't let the sun go down in your, in, in your wrath. wrath, wrath yeah. right? Why? Because you're going to give the devil a foothold. Yep. You know what I mean? And there you go, right? Like, so it's like that. That's the whole purpose of why not, again, bring it to the light, right? Let's just talk about mm-hmm. the issues and everything else. But how many times do we, do we do that, right? And that's, I mean, come on. That's what scripture says. It's not like that's what we're trying to, you know, figure out what happens to us. I mean, scripture tells us clearly that, that you're going to give him a foothold. We didn't realize, and I think the revelation that Melissa talked about when we heard it from that Jimmy Evans um, video was that, I mean, I guess, I guess we knew this, but we didn't really think about it. Darkness is legal territory mm-hmm. for the enemy. He has the legal right to exist where darkness is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if we keep something hidden, secret, in the dark, he legally has the right to sit on that and rule over it. So, well, because you've, you've given him the authority. We That's, have given him the authority. Right. So, yeah. so, and hey, look, the Bible tells us, you know, somebody might be listening the first time, like, what do you mean? It's like, like, the Bible tells us that he is the ruler of this world, the world present system. world, That's right? Correct. Yeah. He's the president of the world, okay? So Jesus has control. Jesus has broken. And Colossians tells us, right? He has um, made a public spectacle yes. of him at the cross, right? So mm-hmm. he doesn't. But the thing is, is you need to know that he doesn't have that authority over you. Correct. Right? Right. But if you leave it in the dark, then you're siding with him and allowing him right. to keep you in that bondage. And yeah, the only thing that you can do is bring it into light. You know, one of the things that, you know, we... Um, talk to the high schoolers about is like look light doesn't struggle with darkness like as soon as like we shut the light off right now like we turn the light on boom it's gone like there's no struggle but you have to bring it to the light right yes that's exactly right yeah yeah it's it's powerful Uh, one thing i wanted to kind of like circle around and just um just see because it's funny because i it's not funny but i heard it from both of you and i could go into the same thing right like you look at the life of jacob Okay, and Jacob, all his life, right? He was like trying to get the appeasement from his dad, waiting to get this blessing that was due to him because it was told that he was going to have this blessing, right? And doing everything that he can. And then when he finally did get the blessing, what did he do? He like had to disguise himself and put this mask on and try to like be his brother. And you know, his dad's like, "Who are you?" And like, "I don't know," you know. Mm-hmm. And he's and but he and he gets the blessing, right? 
but again, performance based. Like I needed, he needed to be who he thought his dad wanted to bless, right? Mm. So that's how we kind of grow up doing these things. And then he leaves, right? He goes and and he's gonna go to his mom's homeland. And you know what does he do? The first thing that he does is like he gets his big, you know, tries to lift all jagged, moves that stone, right? So the ladies can go and get the, you know what I mean? Because then he again, right, trying to get that approval, and then all that stuff that happens mm. that with Laban, and then he's leaving that point. So you know, like he's got this other. You know, growing up, he's running away from home, mm-hmm. right? Because he's because of everything that decisions and choices he's made, and then now he's stuck in this mess that he's made, right, with mm-hmm. his uncle. And now he's got to leave that point, and now he's like between these two points, right? And and it's like that life is always going to creep up until you to get to it. And one thing, it. Yeah, yeah, until you deal with it. And one of the things that you said was when when God said, "Who are you?" It just the church, right? It like hmm. brings to mind, like, what was it? that God asked Jacob before while they were wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. Jacob wanted that blessing because we're, they're like, come on, God, like, why is this happening? Why is this going on? And what, what is he, ask, what is, you know, he's asking the Lord for the blessing. And what does the Lord ask him? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Who are you? He knew, yeah. The Lord knew. Why did he, did, did the Lord not know who he was wrestling with? No, right. he knew who right. he was wrestling with. But think about it. The last time that Jacob had got asked that, was when he was before his other father. Right. Right. His early father. Deceiving him. Exactly. Yeah. And when his father asked him who he was, yeah, he said Esau, but why? Because he was trying to get that approval from his dad in order to accept it. And now with him at the Lord, it's where who else is he? Like he's got nothing left, nothing behind. His family's gone. Everything like he has nothing. And the Lord's like, Who are you? Jacob. Right? And those points, you know, like you, it's like who am I? You know, we want to bring all these things and it's like, God, you know what? I need you to tell me who I am because I don't know. Because anytime that I'm trying to figure out who I am, which means that's where I'm finding my identity at, I'm going to try to perform or I'm going to try to cover something up. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, this whole conversation has been about the ministry that you guys are doing and what you're trying to provide for people. But, you know, anybody listening to this anchor house is just the, the vehicle, right? (laughs) What they're coming to is people that have gone through this, that have been real with uh, what they're going through. And I mean, to talk about and be uh, transparent about some deep things that like have caused both of you shame. That's where everybody's at. That, that, That is, well, not everybody, but people that are dealing in those similar situations, you know, like. Of course, this is what I'm getting. This is my lot in life. And this is what I deserve. And, and I've always been told I'm not good enough. And here, you know what I mean? And they have all this shame. And a lot of times, like, the whole reason for this podcast was because of knowing that these conversations need to happen. But so many people just, like, they feel too much shame to want to come to somebody and come and talk to somebody. And it's like, you know what? If we can just talk, like, you were talking about having a conversation about pornography at the church. My co-host Steve, we had an hour conversation about <laughs> porn. Like we didn't talk to each other for like two. We didn't look each other in the eye for like two weeks, and it was like the most uncomfortable <laughs> conversation. But again, right? So many people that came up to us, like, dude, thank you guys so much for talking about that because it's like, well, we're glad. <laughs> we're glad that we could do that for you because you know what I mean. But again, you know, like, and and you you think in, in Hebrews where it talks about you know Jesus, he he. Um, with the cross set before him, right, mm-hmm. endured endured it, despising his shame, shame right? Yep. And it's like, again, 
like you see the whole picture of the Bible and the, the scriptures, it's like, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Mm. felt this shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Jesus took that shame. So we don't have to feel that shame anymore. Because we all, here's the thing, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we've done, we all need healing. We all need him. He, ha- We can't do it by ourselves. Right. Right. If we could do it by ourselves, we wouldn't need him. And right. we have to have him. So there's no shame. There's no shame. Because right. he took that away. You know, so... And thank you guys so much for sharing all that you guys are doing. And, and anybody listening that's like, you know what? I, If you know somebody, you know somebody that's going to need some kind of help and services, what is the best way? Obviously, you guys have this event. So we're, you know, encouraging people once again to, you know, let you guys know November 3rd yes. is the event at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Correct. At Urbano's. Right. Okay. Um, what do you guys need help? You guys, I mean, obviously, financial help. Right. Yes, we. Um, so the donations from that night is we're gonna we want to start um, putting funds to a, sp- a building fund. Mm-hmm. We also want to put a fund for educational scholarships, mm-hmm. and and doing helping with the immediate needs. Those immediate needs for childcare. Those immediate needs for rental assistance. Um, Let me ask you this right now. So, do you guys have land right now? No, not yet. But. I know God's got it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So is, do you guys have a game plan as to, I mean, if you guys are still in the works, you don't, it's not to share, but um, do you guys have a game plan, like something that you can be in the works of doing, like within six months, if somebody comes and says, Hey, I heard you guys, you know, cause you guys have been in, you know, you guys were interviewing on Quill FM, you went on the radio and now this, right. And if somebody comes to you and like, Hey, I know some people like, is there so anything? We're definitely going to begin um, helping people um, with rental assistance mm-hmm. and with child care okay. um, just as soon as you know the funds begin to come in. That's what we're hoping for, a really successful night on Friday the 3rd, uh, because we want to start right away. We want to start um, putting together uh, the funds necessary so people can start to look at, well, what's my future look like? You know, if I could, if I could just get this HVAC training... Mm-hmm. If I could just get, you know, that nurse's assistance, you know, a certification, if I go back to school, if I can go to Cochise community, we're going to put the money together to hopefully um, help defray the cost so that they can so that they can go back to school or go to a vocational training program or whatever so that they can begin to make those things. Those things we want to do as soon as mm-hmm. possible. The future is to have the actual housing, the actual child care center, the Mm -hmm. actual programs in place to do that ourselves. But until then, we want to start. We want to start. We want to be an immediate immediate resource for those in need. So those things are going to begin definitely within the next six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. God has also put people that are well equipped Mm -hmm. for the bigger vision. Someone has told me that they were a property manager Hmm. and that they want to volunteer there. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Lord, you are just you're putting all of this together. Um, I know Michelle and Joyce Mm -hmm. from Lori's Place. I mean, they go around and they tell everyone about what our vision is and oh yeah well and, she's the one that came to yeah. me and was like hey you have to meet yeah so like she told me right away i'm like yeah absolutely um and and i hear it so i got a phone call this past week and again this goes to 
that need, that gap, like mm-hmm. what happens after. Mm-hmm. We are trying to help. We, well, this past week, we were trying to help a woman that had, a, you know, she had a young child. Um, she was at Forgash House for, I think it was, she was coming up to 120 days and she had to leave. She doesn't have anywhere to go. Mm. She doesn't have any money. So I get the phone call and they're like, Melissa, where are the buildings? And I'm like, I'm asking God the same question. (laughs) (laughs) Because I keep seeing that need and I'm like, okay, Lord, I I mean, this is what you've given me. This is what, um, and it's funny because I try, I tell him all the time. I'm like, I see it. Like he has even given me a vision of the playground and the mom's being there with smiles on their faces and the kids playing and like I see it yeah. and I'm like okay Lord where where is it so um, I mean if if anyone I'm believing that there is someone out there that will donate the land yeah um, well you know and this is the thing that's I mean we live in such a small community you know what I mean like it, it's a decent size I love Servista mm-hmm. and um, but really if we really you know what I mean? Like, could just put some things aside where it's like, yeah, we know, like, you, people have to make money and everything else, and that's fine. You know what I mean? But it's like, there's so much good that we could do here before, you know, um, other things from the culture that we live in, right, starts creeping in. Like, we're, like, we're, you know, there's this little nest and service that's still, like, super, uh, like, family-oriented mm-hmm. and, and support of that. And, you know what I mean? And, and you know, we're not like, you know, I, I hear people that are in Phoenix and tell me all the stuff that's, you know, going on over there. And it's like, man, it just, it's going to creep in over here if we don't do something about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, all these different resources and, and things, it's like we, you know, how can we, how can we bring people together? that we can all you know i mean it's not it shouldn't be left up to one person you know what i mean i don't care if there's a person that has you know uh you know thousands of acres you know what i mean it shouldn't be left up to one individual i think there's there's enough people that can say hey you know what like we're in a small community we see that there's a need there is there is a need you know what i mean like why don't we just do something different you know what i mean and and yeah great you know if we do change and then it can affect the rest of the country people can see what we're doing over here great you know what i mean but man if we could help the the, you know, however many people are on DES and, and looking for all these different services and that are on, you know, welfare and everything else. Like, what what if we do something actual to change that? And the big thing is is this too, right? Those people have to want to change. Exactly. Right? That's, That's the biggest right. thing because there's some people that, you know, that they just don't want to. They don't want to put the work in. You know what I mean? And if they don't want to, that's fine. You know, that's on them. But, that's why we're going to ask them, you know, where do you see yourself yeah. in 18 to 24 months? You know, it's it's not this is the goal that you have to meet. You you set the goal. We're going to help you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I think once once we once we get the housing piece that once somebody has a place that they know they can come to every night, that's safe, sure. that's secure, that's warm, um, that you know, they're, they're going to be able to rest mm-hmm. and not have to worry about themselves or their kids. Um, I, I think that's the first piece. When, when you get that piece and you give people that comfort of knowing you're going to have someplace safe to lay your head tonight and tomorrow night mm-hmm. and the night after that, now you can begin to think about the future. You don't have to worry about, I'm just going to survive for today. 
Yeah. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. So you can't make plans when you're thinking that way. Mm-hmm. So get them out of survival mode. Bring them in and say, listen, no, we've got you. Mm-hmm. In the next 18 to 24 months, if we can't get this done in 18 to 24 months, something's, you know, something's happening. But you know, if we can present a plan and help them establish a goal and a plan and a system and then provide them the resources. And by the grace of God, we have found so much community here in Sierra Vista. People are coming together. Other people like Lori's Place and other organizations are spreading our mission for us because they see it and they've said to us, that's the missing piece. We've had police officers say, oh my God, that's what's needed here. We've had elected officials say, I'm with you. And then when Melissa and I, um, after this, we're going to hopefully start to go and visit other churches. So we're going to help spread this to other churches. So maybe there is... Maybe we don't have to have the whole thing, like you just said. Maybe everybody should be doing a piece of it. But let's talk to them. Let's engage with them. Let's energize them and say, hey, listen, these resources are already here. If you want to help and step in, join with us. If not, if you want to do it on yourself, let's give you some resources so you can help do it. But it's all about coming together and talking about it, Mm -hmm. um, bringing it into the light. Yeah, Yeah. Sierra Vista does have a housing problem, a Mm -hmm. homeless problem, you know, there's a trafficking problem. There's oh yeah, yeah absolutely. There's, there's drugs. The, there's yeah. you know there are issues here. We can't pretend like they're not. Mm-hmm. So um, bringing these things into the light, talking about it, doing this. Um, there's a, the future is bright. God yeah. God has got this. Yeah. He's not setting us up for failure. He's setting us up for victory. That's awesome. Yeah. And on what you just said, that some people won't you know will just will not want the help. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the comments that or statements that I get are, well, you know, you're not going to be able to save everyone. Like I had someone tell me that early on mm-hmm. when I was going out there. And afterwards, I got into my car and I felt like a little defeated. And I'm like, Lord, you know, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, <laughs> what what is this even going to look like? He's right. I can't save everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, is this for nothing? And the Holy Spirit said, Jesus died on the cross for you. He would have died even if it was just you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you not sacrifice even if you just saved one person? Even if it's just one. That's absolutely right. And I was and in that moment I was like, oh, of course I would, Lord. Yeah. So my answer to the people that are um tend to be a little bit cynical mm-hmm. and say, you know, Maybe this isn't going to work. You know, what are you going to do when drugs come in? Or sure. what are you going to do when, you know, someone at the, you know, at your apartments is causing trouble? Mm-hmm. Or we are not naive to think yeah. that it's going to be smooth sailing all the way through. But if we save one person, mm-hmm. if one person comes out the other side of abuse, mm-hmm. If one person's child, if it stops with yeah. them mm, yeah. and the next generation is healed, yeah. it's all worth it. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's, it's got to be a long game. It can't be a short game. Exactly. One. Two, I can't tell you how much criticism I get for even the, this podcast and you'd be surprised. And, and here's the thing from well-meaning Christians mm. and the criticism that comes from it. And, mm. and here's the thing, like, you know what? My effort is better than your non-effort amen and, and like i'm sorry i just have to like i have to keep that in my mind right right because it's like I, 
I didn't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't something that I'm just like, really? Like, it's Sunday. I've been at church all day long, right? We're like at, who knows? Like, yeah, it's getting ready to be four, right? You know what I mean? So my family hasn't seen me. It's like, really? Yeah, I wanted to do this in my own strength. Like, no, the Lord, like, was relentless about me doing this. You know what I mean? And you guys heard me. Like, Steve and I always talk about it, but you guys heard, like, before we even press record, what was it? Like, hey, God, if you're going to shut this door, shut it. Let me see it. You know what I mean? Because I want to make sure that I know that I heard from him. And if there's any possibility that me, it was me doing this, like, God, just shut it. Mm-hmm. Like, just shut, and, every, it's, and it's crazy. Every time that I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's not. You know, maybe I'm like, maybe it's just like something, you know, just, but then somebody comes along and like, I get this like encouraging text, you know, that comes because it was like one of those things where I start downing it. It's like, mm, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And it's that encouraging text or we get like somebody that's like, Hey, I just want to donate to you guys. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And then, and, and here's, here again, right? Like same thing for you guys too. Like those, those things are going to come, but you know what? Just hold tight. This wasn't you. This is something that the Lord is, is, is you know, putting you, and here's, here's the big thing for anybody listening, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Exactly. You know Amen. what I mean? Yes. And, and it takes a lot of faith to say, Hey, <laughs> we're going to put this event on. We're going to do these things. We're going to try to help people. And it takes a lot. I mean, it's adventure and faith. And mm-hmm. that is so much better than somebody just not doing anything for it. Like, cause here's the thing. Our, for me not to do it, am I going to contribute to the problem or am I going to contribute to the solution, right? You guys doing what you're doing. Are you contributing to the problem or are you contributing to any kind of solution? Well, guess what? That's what we should be doing. Right. Contributing to the solution of what's going to happen. Amen. Amen. That's yes. awesome. All right, guys. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So November <laughs> November 3rd, uh, 6 p.m. at Urbano's. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Oh, like, thank you. Uh, I didn't realize us. when I looked at my watch, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> this is like the longest episode. Yeah. And Bobby, we just um, we just went live uh, on our website. Um, okay. So if anybody wants to find out more about Anchor House, they can visit us at anchorhousecm.org. So Anchor House uh, CM as in Charlie Mike. Charlie Mike yes. as in Christian mm-hmm. Ministries. There right. you go. Okay. Yeah. CM. And dot what? Dot org. Dot org. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. This is a great conversation. It flew by. <laughs> it flew by. Uh, so one of the things that, that we always do, and I didn't even prep you guys, and I should have, but the guests always praise. So one of you, if you want to close this out. Any? <laughs> uh, eternal God, our Father, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. Yes. God, thank you for this opportunity to share your vision through Anchor House, with the world, um, through, through this incredible ministry. Father, we ask that you would bless this podcast, that you would cause it to increase, that you would cause the, the fame of it to spread so that people will hear, not about Bobby, not about, not about this, but, but the testimonies and, and your visions that are coming forth across mm-hmm. through these interviews. Yes. Father God, we ask you to bless them in every way, Father God. Open the windows of heaven and pour out, Father God, mm-hmm. so that they don't have room enough to receive according to your word. God, bless them for the heart. Uh, bless them, Father God, so that the messages spread and that and that 
these interviews are shared and talked about in the community, Father God, that people are hearing it, that people are being encouraged, that people are building faith as a result of hearing what goes on in these on these podcasts. We thank you, Father God, that it even spreads, Father God, and that it, it goes far and wide and that you are glorified all, all the more. So now, Lord, as we as we plan to depart, God, we just ask that you would just watch over us, bless our families, bless everyone that's connected to Anchor House and to to fortitude and Lord God increase them all the more we give your name all the honor all the praise and glory in Jesus' name Amen Amen Amen. Thanks guys